Welcome, welcome everybody to episode seven of season three of the Wormbrenner podcast. I am your host, Justin, and for this week, I have a very special guest on the side of the MLS here to talk about some things that the United States could probably change when it comes to the overall structure or just a, a fun change just in general for the overall a way that we play soccer here in the United States. I have one part of the Designated Players podcast, Mr. Andrew Barnacle. Hey, how's it going? A pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. I, I'm I'm so glad that you were able to get some time and, and we were able to do something like this because I feel like we have a lot of opinions having to do with this. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be ruffling some feathers, that's for sure. Absolutely. I have two silly questions before we start. Sure. I had seen in a little bit of studying that you are an Evertonian. Unfortunately, yeah, we're we're a bit stuck. I I didn't I didn't want to say it as a negative thing. <laughs> <laughs> but if you could sign a player in any position, goalkeeper, defender, midfield or striker, which one would it be in your opinion? Oh, uh, we need a striker worse than most people need a lot of things. It's, uh, it, it, we can't score goals. I mean, our, our back line is okay, but when you're constantly dealing and trying to win games 1-0, 2-1, it's a recipe for disaster, right? So, uh, we desperately, 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 uh, need to sign a striker. You know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is, is a fantastic option. Don't get me wrong. However, uh, if you're not healthy, you aren't, you aren't an option, right? So, Definitely, that's something we need to fix. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I feel like when it comes to the bottom of the Premier League, there are a lot of things that could be going wrong at the exact same time. So, I, I, ironically enough, I think Everton, it, it is a little more clear-cut than just a whole bunch of different problems, slow bleeds everywhere. So, if you could sign a striker... Let's do unrealistic and then realistic. Which one would it be? So, I mean, unrealistic, anybody would want a, an Mbappe or a Holland on their team, right? Um, <laughs> realistically, um, that's a good question. I mean, you've got the likes of I – mean, you can go two different ways with it, right? You can go kind of experienced and, and proven, or you can go potential that hasn't been reached yet. So I'm thinking maybe like a Jao Felix, uh, who has kind Ooh. of been – he's been, you know, very hyped – not necessarily reach the potential that I think a lot of people could have, but you also have to think about the style that we play and, and we would probably look for more of a target man guy in the air, especially with Sean Dyche in the, uh, in, in command now. So, you know, thinking, and these are just some names to fill that sort of role, right? So Luke Veghorst might be an option, uh, or, oh gosh, one more big guy. I mean, even, at this point, Sean Dyche and, and uh, Chris Wood might be a good combo, right? Yeah, so it could be. You've got you've got anybody anybody who will fit that system. And, and listen, I mean, we're I think in a in a spot with the way that these games are going to go, where it might be a difficult might be a difficult road in. We're going to need to pick up points where we probably shouldn't pick up points. That being said, if we do, I think Dyche is is the guy that will get us back to top half of the table which is where we belong anyway but if we were to go down i do think that he is a uh a, one of the guys that we would need to get us straight back up so sure yeah dice does have that record as well when it comes to being 
closer to the bottom. I don't want to take away from what he has done, especially with his with his career, but that is the person that you want on your side, and that's definitely a benefit. One of the things that I did on my last podcast – or last podcast episode, I should say – is that I fixed Chelsea, and one of the signings that I've been kind of alerting everyone to, and maybe Everton could try to get this guy, is Marcus Thurman from Borussia Mönchengladbach. Okay. And he is on a free deal going into this summer. They have not renewed his contract, and to the best of everyone's knowledge, Thurman is not going to renew. Interesting. So, I and, imagine I imagine some clubs with a bit more pull will be also looking at him, and that'd be my worry, mm-hmm. um, simply because nobody wants to play for a side that is uh, <laughs> in the mix of possibly going down and having to move again after that. But. It would be a good signing if we st- if we stayed up because I think him and Damari Gray would work well together. I think Damari Gray has a ton of potential in teams that have better pl- like he is a good complementary player to better players. But when you ask him to be a top three player on a team, he doesn't stand out as that guy. So I think you I think you'd find a lot of success if you were to put him and, and Thurum together for sure. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, it's we we could definitely talk about Europe. <laughs> <laughs> all day as well. So we that, that that might be another episode idea. There you go. But let's go ahead and get into some of the ideas that we were talking about beforehand with the MLS specifically. You and I are both extremely passionate towards the MLS, and we want the United States to get better. That is the end goal for everybody. What We will ruffle some feathers, though. And I definitely agree that it should be done. I wanted to open with this question. Where do you see the United States in general with CONCACAF? Are we second or are we actually like below second right now, in your opinion? It's an interesting question. So I think we're developing players at a better rate than any country in the in the CONCACAF region right now. I mean, you can you can look at the the number of players that have made impacts in in the top five leagues. As people like to use that metric a lot, it's it's not even close, right? It's, you know, and then you look at the U twenty U twenty one numbers in top five leagues. I mean, it's it's always us up there with the Englands, the France, the Spains, right? So, in that sense, I think we're there. I I would I would argue that we are, if not first, definitely second. I think Canada had a good year in the in the build up to the World Cup. However, I wouldn't necessarily just yet consider them to be top of the region. I mean they didn't have the best performance in the World Cup and and they are still looking to establish themselves in that sense. Uh, I think Mexico has fallen off. We talk about this on our podcast all the time that Mexico is not nearly what they used to be, which is just the way that it is. They are in this phase of their development where their entire team is very, very old and that group that's supposed to be coming underneath them is not nearly as talented as where it should be. So with that being said, I, I don't put Mexico in that mix. So I would say that we're the top of the, the region right now, but I don't think this is a a region where every year you're going to have the same one. I think for the next five, six years, you're going to see a lot of rotation around who that who claims that top spot because of the consistency of our teams. I mean, Mexico, when they play the United States or, or anybody in CONCACAF, always take it to that next level. We know that. The United States is, is a good team with subpar management, and that's a completely other topic 
that we we could get into for hours. Uh, and like we mentioned, Canada is coming onto the scene. They're still a bit young, so they're going to go through their bumps as well. So I think at the moment, I'd put us at the top spot. That being said, I wouldn't, you know, if, if we go out in this Gold Cup and finish third and it goes Mexico and Canada, it wouldn't shock me either, right? I, I, I definitely agree that it's a toss-up. CONCACAF is a toss-up. And considering the fact that, again, just the history of the United States in general, we could go on and say that we, we didn't even really get into it until the 1990s. And we're already almost one of the best. We we should be the best in CONCACAF, but we have been able to close that gap considerably to where CONCACAF is really and truly now a toss-up between us, Mexico, and Canada. And also at least looking at it from a statistical point of view on trophies in the CONCACAF region, more specifically the CONCACAF Champions League, we are getting up there with the trophies on the continental side, but we still have that development to do as well. And I feel like with this upcoming season with LAFC and Philadelphia Union, and I feel like we still have a good chance of being able to win it this year too, make it back to back for the first time, I think ever, at least since 2001, because I think it was DC in 2000 and then LA in 01. Correct. Yeah, that's that sounds about right. And so talking specifically titles for the CONCACAF Champions League, Costa Rica actually has more than the United States right now, which is shocking to say the least. And even even more shocking. And this was when I was studying just for the episode and to categorize where I felt that the United States sat on a continental level. There is actually one team that has more CONCACAF Champions League titles than any other U.S. team, and they're in the second division of Mexico. It's, it, it's a bit of a shock, and I think I, I want to also kind of chalk that down to experience in a way as well, because Mexico has been in this for a long time, and for us to, again, to be at this competitive level, we're changing things. And that's where I wanted to lead into what you had been able to put together towards promotion and relegation being one of the things that we might want to change here in the United States. Sure, yeah. So the first thing that I'll say is I'm actually not – the way that I'm phrasing this is going to sound like I'm completely anti promotion and relegation. And I'm not. I think there are there are benefits to both. I think there are good good reasons to to argue for both. However, I think it it comes down to timing and when you implement it. And I don't think that right now is the time to do it. You know, you you think about the the main there are a lot of quick comparisons people will do. I, there's a there's an account on Twitter. I don't remember the name of it, but who who's constantly putting tweets out with the same four big keywords and lots of hashtags, get lots of people to look at it without any going into any depth, right? It's it's like saying, hey, how many of you guys want a million dollars? Everybody puts their hand up. Okay, how are we going to do it? Nobody nobody knows why. And then when they say, okay, we're going to give you a million dollars, but we're going to take all this money from you and pull it together and then you'll get whatever's left. It, it There's the, the logistics behind it just don't quite work yet. 
And that goes back to the point that you had mentioned with us being relatively new at this. You know, everybody loves the European model and, and I'm a fan of it, right? There's a lot that the European model does well. The European model started before the 1900s. I think the, the promotion relegation started up in 1898, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so so you're looking at this and looking at a, a league that isn't even 30 years old yet and thinking, oh, why are we not just like them? Well, it's for a lot of reasons. And one of them is because of how late we started, right? What you would ask of these people who have put in tens to hundreds of millions of dollars into this league is to take a gamble. Essentially. Right? So yeah. everybody loves the Wrexham story, right? I've, I've seen Wrexham all over my Twitter feed, and it's a great story, right? Here's what people aren't realizing. Everybody's like, oh, why don't we do this here? We can have Wrexham all over the United States. The two people who bought Wrexham, combined worth of like $200 million, spent $2 million to purchase the team. That is 1% of their, their net worth. That's basically taking $100 and saying, okay, I'm going to use two of it to go buy a candy bar, right? You are having people put, I think the, the most recent value, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say $300 million average based off of the last couple of expansion teams in MLS. $300 million. It's a lot of money. And you're asking them to just say, oh, yeah, you know, $300 million is going to guarantee you a team place in the league, TV rights, jersey rights, you know, the, the right to advertise, all this type of stuff. But if you don't finish in the top 17 or, or what are we, we're at 30 now, we're about to be at 30. So if you don't finish in the top 27, you're going to lose all of it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not taking that gamble. I'm not going to the casino and putting it all on red and saying, let's go for it. Let's see what happens. Right. It's a big risk. It's, it's something that a, a lot of people don't talk about. So this initial startup where one started up from the ground up, a bunch of buddies playing together that saying, hey, let's make a league. Let's play a bunch of these teams every week that grew and grew and grew naturally. You had fans supporting because they were born there. This is what they did. This is what their dad did. This is what their grandpa did. This is what their grandma did. Everybody and everybody and everybody just going into it, much like we do for the NFL or MLB or NBA, depending on which one's your, you know, your sport, right? The people who are like, I will, I'm a Jets fan. I will go with the Jets until the day I die because that's the way it was. Soccer isn't like that here. Not yet. You know, we're getting into a generation that's getting there. I think, you know, I'm, I'm tied to the New York Red Bulls. I'm tied to my, my local club and on the field and off the field issues aside, I will be there whether I like it or not. And that's the way I am. But my dad wasn't that way. My dad still isn't that way. I, I had to get him into the team and he watches it. And, but if he has to miss a game, it's not the end of the world. I put my schedule around that team, much like other people do in Europe. Right. So we're getting there. We're getting to this idea that we're going to have a generational attachment to a team, which I don't think we have yet. Mainly also because a lot of these teams are too new, right? A lot of these teams, I, I think uh, more than half of the teams in the league now joined after 2010, right? You can't have generational attachment to a team that's less than 20 years old, right? That's, that's just not how that works. So you're trying to push a model onto something that isn't ready to do it. That's just the way it is. So. Again, it's it's not a bad idea, I don't think, but you need to you're basically asking this this person to put so much money into it, whoever it is or the group or whatever, to go and say, let's see what happens. If you've got a project that's three years old and you start losing money on it, you run, you fold, you you go somewhere else. Right. You need this to be a, a sustainable thing. So I don't think we start even talking pro rel 
until we've stopped expanding, which I think is going to be at 32. So I think if we get three more teams, we're going to, we're going to call it there and go. The other, the other note that I took from that is, is what would happen if we did, right? If we had it and you went down there, if you wanted to buy a USL one team, right? Or USL championship team right now, $20 million. So what you're asking, if somebody wants to go down and then sell a team and cut their losses, you're asking them to take a 90% cut in what they've just put in. It's not realistic. It's just not going to happen. So that in itself is one way to realize that it's not something that could happen. There are these other arguments that I, I want to go into just to kind of highlight the disparity between on paper, what sounds really good in a tweet with hashtags and keywords and the reality of it. And there's this idea that more games matter with ProRel. If you have a, if you have a floor beneath you that you're also running from, more games are going to matter. My, my head coach at Alfred, I'm, a, I'm an assistant coach here, is a Bolton Wanderers fan. They're in League Two. Promotion, relegation, it's all there. We check the standings. They've got four to five games left in their league. 24 teams. Eight of them with four games left have nothing to play for. They can't go into the, the promotion playoffs. They can't get relegated. Their seasons are done with four games left. Follow that up. By next week, it'll, it can go up to 14, which is more than half of the teams in the league. So a lot of people are talking about, oh, well, look at the Premier League race right now. Look at this. Just because the first league is having a a good competitive year doesn't mean everything else is going to be. And if your team is in one of those lower leagues, you don't care what's going on. I mean, you might, but it it doesn't, you know, affect you as much as it does, right? The the Wrexham PK save showed up on my timeline when I was doing some research here, right? The Ben Foster. And they're like, oh, my God, if MLS had this pro-rel, we'd have all these stories about this. That is basically people telling me I've never seen a game before. Because here's a list of things. We're On our podcast, we're doing uh, MLS history. So we're going through, we asked every fan what they thought was some of the most important moments in their team's history. And we're basically retelling those stories. Here are just some from the two days of asking questions that I've got. In 2019, Justin Miram scored a bicycle kick in the 95th minute to knock LA Galaxy out of the playoffs and overtake them for the last spot. Absolute scenes. Same exact level of excitement that I got from a rec- watching a Rectum PK save. Decision day of 2018 was essentially the same to out to me as a Red Bull fan as the Man City Man United, right, title race. Red Bull were pushing for their third supporter shield in six years, while Atlanta United were in the top spot. In the, I believe it was uh, second half, maybe like 60, 70th minute, Derek Etienne Jr. scored the goal that put us in first, and Atlanta dropped the ball in the last game. Deadline day sort of stuff, right? Vito Minone for Minnesota United in the 93rd minute saved a penalty in 2020 to put Minnesota United in the playoffs for the first time ever. The exact same situation, but nobody talks about it. Everybody who's like, oh, you know, the, the, the way I always look at this is, oh, well, it didn't have pro rel, so it didn't matter if they made the playoffs or not. That, to me, tells me that the people who are asking for this are not interested in the soccer. They're not interested in the stories of, of the games. They just want to see the risk. They want to see, ooh, who's going to suffer out of this, this league, right? That's not a soccer fan to me. I think you enjoy soccer, but you're more interested in who's going to get hurt. Because if you ask anybody who's screaming, I will never watch MLS or think it's a real league until Pro Rel is here, Man City, Man United, Barcelona, Real Madrid, AC Milan, teams that have never been in a relegation battle in their entire lives. They don't understand what it goes through. Everton supporter. Been there, done that twice now. Not a fun time. 
people who have actually been there understand what the risk is. The other thing that isn't tied into it, the horror stories. You've got these beautiful stories. Oh, my God, look at Leicester City. Look at Union Berlin in, in the Europa League making this run after being in the second division, right? Nobody's talking about the Bury, who had to fold their entire operation after hundreds of years of support because they had a bad owner who didn't care about them. Bolton, I told you, my, my boss is a Bolton supporter. There was a time in 2019 where he thought he wasn't going to have a club anymore. He played for them at the U19 level all the way up through almost getting a pro contract. He almost saw them fold. Mm-hmm. Nobody talks about these because nobody wants to date the image of what pro-rel could do. Mm-hmm. These are clubs with 100 years of fan support that had to fold or almost fold. Imagine what happens if a club with three years of fan support has to go down. Right? Imagine they go down two, two drops in three years. You think they're going to survive? Not a chance, right? It's a, it's a, it's a pretty on picture, very good on paper mindset. But when you start digging a deeper and deeper and deeper, you realize that there are a lot of holes there. The last one that I want to talk about before we can move on, because I don't want to take up all the time. We have a lot more to talk about yeah. is this idea that it would cause teams to care more. So they would spend more and the product would increase. And this is assuming that we took that, that salary cap off, which I know we're going to talk about in a little bit. But assuming that we had free range, teams are just going to spend a whole bunch and the product's going to increase. Well, let me tell you, first of all, I support Everton, as we've mentioned. Lots of money doesn't mean lots of good play. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. We are, what are we? I, I think we were top 10 in Europe over the last three years in terms of money spent, and we're in a relegation battle right now. And if anybody's watched an Everton game, which I'm assuming the people who are in this argument haven't, it's not pretty. It's not fun. It's not something that you're like, yes, I can't wait to turn it on. I have to drag myself out of bed to watch these games. It's brutal. A stat that I took just from last year, five of the 10 highest paying teams in the league, highest payrolls in MLS last year, missed the playoffs. Most of them in the Eastern Conference, Chicago, Atlanta, New England. I think Columbus was the other one with maybe LA or somebody in there. I don't remember who the last one was. Five of the 10 highest playing teams, one of them, Toronto, would have been relegated. So you're telling me that just because they spent all this money on Insigne and Bernadeschi and all these all these big Italian players, that they're just going to be good? It, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. Again, it's it's very nice on paper. It's great to recognize that, but there's so many layers that need to be fixed. That being said, again, I want to. I'm not against it. I'm just against it right now. It's not. We are not in a position to do it. You are. It would lead us to failure. If teams got relegated, I use Chicago as my big example. Chicago is a top-tier team drawing 8,000 fans a game. The USL is averaging just about five to 6,000, right? So even if you were to replace Chicago with somebody from USL, you're not bringing those massive 25,000. And again, it's not like it's the Premier League where everybody in the country tunes in every day, right? We are still scrapping to get people to watch this league. Putting a team in a relegation battle, if you finally drag somebody, you know, we talk about the demographic. The demographic we're looking for is not the we we use the term Euro snob on our on our podcast, but not the people who are I'm anti MLS, I'm never watching it, and Europe is so clear. Have it, buddy. We want the guys who were football parents when they were growing up. Their kid just started playing soccer and their kid now wants to go to a, a local game. Those are the guys that we want to target. Now, if you pick this guy up and put him in Chicago and say, yeah, this is going to be your team, and he's like, okay, you know what, I'm about it. I go to these games. The atmosphere is great. 
you know, really having a good time and they get relegated next year, oh, well, okay, well, that's it. And they're gone, right? So it's a sustainability model. We're looking to grow. We're still growing. COVID hit us hard. I mean, we lost billions of dollars in COVID. That's still being recovered. It will get there. The, the issue is that we aren't getting there fast enough for certain people. Patience will pay off. I do want to highlight the one the last thing I wanted to highlight was the fact that it does have its perks, right? The one thing that I can see ProRel doing positively would be to take this $3 million or $300 million expansion thing and throwing it out the window. The way that it kind of looks like in, and I use hashtag United as an example. It shows you uh, kind of where my, my mindset is, right? But they were a YouTube team that started up in the bottom. They just started up. They, they put funding together to build the team, get the, the stadium usage and, and put everything on YouTube. And they grew a little bit. They got their fan support, whatever. They had enough money to say, okay, I'm going to go into it. You'd probably still need an expansion fee to get into maybe USL2 if that's going to be our bottom level, whatever it may be. However, it's not $300 million. You're looking at a $2 million purchase, right? And that's something a lot more people can do. Then you grow the bottom, right? Then you're growing the bottom. You're filtering it up to the top. Because at the end of the day, none of this works if we don't have a strong base. You can't have a, I'm going to say semi-decent right now. I'll even go decent. You can't have a decent first division and a very, very poor second division. And not by talent, just by money and attention and fan support and all that stuff. I think two teams right now in 2022 in USL championship average more than 10,000 fans a game. Nobody broke 11. It's Mm. just not there. If you can build that up without having to sacrifice anything else, then we start talking about it. But until that gap closes, I don't think it's there. But if it does and we start to fund that lower league, then we start going ahead and, and, and there's less risk when you go and invest there. You might lose a team or two because it just doesn't work out. I mean, there's a whole list of them this guy keeps posting. Most of them were, you know, USL two teams that just didn't have the funding, right? And that's just how it works. Mm-hmm. But you're also risking less, right? If you get, I'm sorry, they're not risking less. You're, you're also receiving less. So it's a, it's a smaller risk, right? $2 million. USL two money is not MLS money. So you're not making the, the hundred million that you think you're going to make. You have to put two in to get four back, four in to get eight back, right? You're not putting in 300 to make 500, right? And that's what a lot of people, and especially in America, I would think with our, our businessman mindset, people don't like the small one. They want to get the big victory and get out. So that is my little rant on ProRel. I, I don't think it's a bad decision. I just think it's a bad decision right now. No, absolutely. I I agree that with every the way that we are set up, even in some instances, there's not even really a structure per se because we also have the IS or the the NISA, I believe, which the, is yeah, that the fifth division. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we've got all kinds of organizations everywhere that it I'm not entirely sure we're all in consensus even right now <laughs> to be a hundred percent honest. And that's what kind of fueled me towards the argument of maybe making smaller changes that something we could get behind and maybe maybe see how things would go. Because of course with 
U.S. sports in general, over football, over hockey, over anything, you name it. There are definitive factors that are attributed to those leagues, and I think one of those that even spans into soccer now with the United States is the draft. And I'm not 100% against removing the draft, but there was an argument that was posed, and I really thought about it. And what one of the things that going into this research and going into looking at the draft a little more closely was it could it could statistically speaking be a problem in the term of stunting players careers and when you have teams that are on that lower end of the spectrum having really really good players sometimes even those good players aren't able to turn the team around I feel like we've been able to have a little bit more success in in recent years, especially Danny Pareja with Austin being right off the top of the bat. He was their first pick, and he has done absolute wonders for the side. But there are only a handful that are household names that have come from more specifically the top pick of the draft. And – I've compiled a list of, of a few. So Freddie Adu, obviously. <laughs> that's that's a big one. Um, guy. Played for t- uh, two years with D.C. United. Then I believe he had a, a smaller stint just before going abroad. Then you also have Andre Blake playing for Philadelphia Union even still to this day. I feel like when it comes to that's, – that's an added point that I'll get back to. But – Kyle uh, Kyle Loren for Orlando City three years came in the first first pick of the draft, and then Danny Padilla as well with Austin FC. I feel like with the draft specifically, it can benefit defensive players more for when it comes to teams on that other end of the spectrum, on the lower end of the spectrum. I can agree one hundred percent with. Allowing for that fighting chance to be able to get players that these sides normally would not be able to, especially if we're talking about pulling power specifically. You get some top targets uh, in the draft, and they have the difference between third place in the Supporter Shield versus 20th place in the Supporter Shield. Which one are they going to pick? It, I feel like that's a foregone conclusion with that, but I'm – I'm not entirely convinced some of the times when it comes to this that maybe this can, this could be a problem that it may it may be a situation in which it is happening to fewer than than most of them. And I'm definitely willing to admit that and look into those details even more, but I wanted to get your thoughts on on that specifically cuz I, I just wanted another point that has been able to look at this league and be able to see the draft for as long as you have and and get that perspective. Yeah, that's a, you know, the draft comes up a lot too. And and I think, again, that is one of those, well, well, Europe doesn't do it, so why do we do it? And it was a very, very good tool early, right? We can all agree that, you know, anytime you look at the top 
top draft picks overall, right? They're all pre 2010, maybe 2013. If you're, I think Andre Blake was a 2013 kid. You're not getting your game changers anymore because we've, we've increased our spending power, right? We increased our spending power, got our, got our big name players. We've got the designated player rule. We've got a lot more Gam and Tam to play with. There's a, you're not going to get many game changers out of it. That being said, you aren't getting not game changers either. I mean, you look at New England's a great example from 2021. Their uh, their record-setting season had Matt Turner undrafted, didn't even came out of college, no academy experience, straight in. I mean, his story is fantastic. We can sit there and tell that all day. Tejon Buchanan out of Syracuse was their first-round pick at 11. Great, great contributor to that team and turned into an $8 million move to Belgium, right? There's talent made. Daryl DK, right, out of Orlando. I think he was picked four or five. Turned into a, a, a couple million dollar move to West Brom, right? There's talent to be had there if you want it. The teams that benefit the most are the ones whose academy systems are a little bit weak. Because where would these kids go if they weren't directly in college? They'd go to the, the academy system, right? And you will likely see less and less players coming out of the college system that make impacts because of the establishment of greater academy systems. I mean, Red Bull for a while, but they've been taken over now by Philly and Dallas, putting players out at rates nobody's seen because they take them in when they're 12. That didn't happen back in 20, you know, 2005, for lack of a better mm-hmm. term, right? That stuff just wasn't there. That's why Pro 40 existed for a while, because they didn't have academy systems to get these college players more pro minutes, right? Get going, get going, get going. The draft will still have its diamonds in the roughs. However, the more that we see the academy system paying out, I think what you're going to end up seeing is – that draft being used more for their academy, like their USL, MLS Next Pro teams, which is where most of them go now. <clears throat> but anybody who expects to take top-level players out of the draft is, is kind of, I think, a little bit clouded-minded. But really what it is is you've got, excuse me, you've got uh, kids who are trying to get a college education too, right? The, the system is set up so that if this doesn't work and there's a chance that it doesn't, you can still go on and live life. So that is kind of the benefit of, of that is you're giving these kids multiple options, right? You're, you're giving them saying, hey, you can play if you want to play. You're also going to get out with a degree. If you're good enough, maybe you go pro. If you aren't, you still go and, and are not stuck just being a soccer player, right? You can go make an impact in the world. And that is Something that I, I see as a, as a former college athlete and now as a, a college coach is a lot of kids, when they go through the recruiting process, think that it's, it's a pathway to pro. It's not. If, if a lot of these teams wanted you now, they'd have you by now, right? You'd be in those systems. It's just the way it is. But that being said, there are some kids who will bypass that or be a part of the academy system until college. A lot of Red Bull players in the Georgetown system uh, and the Duke system. So Peter Stroud most recently, Sean Davis, one of our captains, um, Derek Etienne Jr., uh, Alex Mawil, Brandon Allen is another one who didn't quite make it uh, on, the, on the pro stage. But a lot of these guys who were in the academy up until PDL 
went into college, played college, and then, you know, PDL in the summer, continued to be working with Red Bull coaches, Red Bull coaches, Red Bull coaches. Once they got out of college, okay, we're going to draft you in round four, whatever. Or we'll, or we'll just sign you to a homegrown contract, one or the other, you know, whatever it may be. You're going to always have that academy impact there. But at the end of the day, I do think that there are players that are worth looking at. I mean, there, there's a whole list of them still. I mean, look at the, the one I'm going to point out is uh, Jack Elliott. Jack Elliott's the easy one, right? Fourth round draft pick. That's not even, they don't televise the draft anyway, but that's not even televised televised. That's like radio call, like four people listening in. He got drafted and he's one of the best center backs in the league. Aaron Long was the same way. Drafted, what was it? I think 36th. Yeah, I'm looking 36th overall in 2014. U.S. Men's National Team captain for a couple of games, right? It's all about what you're willing to put into that draft pick to make them what you want it to be, right? You're investing thousands of thousands of hours into these academy kids. How much are you willing to give in to the guy that you drafted who's been raised in a, in a system hopefully similar to yours if, if your scouting department works well? It's not... You're not going to get somebody who's going to win you a supporter shield from day one scoring 25 goals at striker. However, you're going to get somebody who's going to contribute to your supporter shield team by scoring five or six goals in substitute minutes if you put the work into it. And that's where I think the mindset for the draft needs to go. A lot of people saying, get rid of it, get rid of it. Don't get rid of it. You're, you're filling your academy teams with it. You're giving them that extra opportunity to train and see if they got a shot. And at the end of the day, it's a, it's a cheap way in a salary cap league to give players a chance. And that's the way it needs to be looked at. Again, if we open up the salary cap and, and things like that, maybe we talk about it. But right now, this is a really good way to do it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I think taking, I wanted to, I wanted to say something. Let's see if you might agree with this. Sure. Do you think that the draft has diminished in value? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's that, like, like we mentioned, I mean, you're, you were looking early 2000s that, the majority of those first, second round picks were getting good minutes. Mm-hmm. Now you are lucky if your top five picks get minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I, every year I like to look back at it. I, I did one last before last season, like redrafting the league. And those top five guys, they got minutes, but they weren't world beaters in the, in the slightest, right? So mm-hmm. you've got these players who, and, and I think that's the other issue too. I mean, again, I'm, very Red Bull bias, but 2018, maybe 2017, uh, this kid Zico Lewis came in and was drafted at the Red Bull spot 16, maybe. And he got up to the, the mic and they did their little speech and he basically said, Oh, it's about time somebody took me. Like I was supposed to be top five off the board. You know, this is, this is ridiculous. I'm going to show you guys all wrong. I gave a, gave a big, it lasted two years. I think he's in USL one now. Like, mm. I think people expect that if they are first round draft pick, they're going to be massive. The jump from college to pro is such a massive difference because you're not, it's not like the NFL where you're playing just against older kids that played in the college system, smarter, bigger. You're playing against guys who have been playing since they were two in academy style systems from age eight. I mean, this has been their life since they've been able to walk. You picked up a soccer ball at age 12 and decided, Oh, I'm kind of good at this. It's mm-hmm. just different levels. And again, that'll change as we continue to work harder with our academy and the, the level of coaching, even at the youth level in non-academy. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, a hopefully about to be a C-licensed coach is right in the middle of our, 
our, our licensing for those of you who may not know the the American pathway listening the the level of coaching from now where I am to where I was when I was a player at the the ages that I'm coaching is miles miles ahead of what it was so even that base again we talk about having a strong base for the entire system the base just for player development is is massively raised so you're going to get there but I think overall the draft is definitely diminished but it's not useless yeah yeah I that's one of the things that I wanted to take into this discussion as well is that everything that we have done so far has gotten us to where we are. That's something that we cannot take away, but maybe it's time to push towards other directions. And that's exactly, I think what we, what people should be discussing because we need to grow the sport. If we want to be the best of the best, which I hear from a lot of people, we want to be, we have to have these discussions. We have to. And that leads me to my third and final point for this discussion is the salary cap. And when I had brought it to you, I know that there wasn't really any context at all. <laughs> And I wanted to go ahead and let you know that it wasn't a complete removal of the con- uh, of the salary cap. I do think, however, we should adapt more of a La Liga-style salary cap where it is a soft salary cap, where it it just prohibits teams from going over a certain threshold, but there's wiggle room to be able to allow for certain things and certain certain stipulations to be met and not to have oh if it's if it's over this that's it it can't happen i think with the growth that we have for these teams in the MLS cuz again as you had stated we're going to 32 teams most likely that will hands down be the largest league in the entire world I feel like we should definitely have a little bit of leeway. And thankfully, the league already in itself does increase the salary cap every single year. And that is a big positive in in my point of view and a reason why I was hesitant towards removing it completely. But I definitely think allowing for the salary cap to be flexible would allow teams to take a little bit more of a risk as well and as well as you had pointed to money money means nothing in the soccer (laughs) world it means absolutely nothing but it allows for if they want to make a small gamble they could and it but it won't completely crush the teams and for this salary cap discussion i wanted to bring another country into it which is unbeknownst to anybody but (laughs) that is there is one other league in the entire world that has a hard salary cap do you know what that country is by chance i don't if i had to guess i'd say it's i i I think it's either north or south of us i may be completely wrong but i'm thinking it might be league mx it is not even in this continent Ooh, okay. I was completely off. It's okay. That's okay. It is Australia. 
Oh, okay. I don't know. My A-League knowledge is not up to par. I will tell you that. And that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> and and that's why I wanted to, to ask because I always want to learn when it comes to soccer. So it I, oddball things. That's all it is to me. <laughs> so, But regardless, uh, with the A-League, looking at some of their results in comparison to the rest of the continent, it, of course, the Asian Confederation is a extremely competitive area when it comes to that region of the world. And especially towards China and South Korea, they are the dominant powers in that area. And looking towards Australia, Australia doesn't really have a dominant side when it comes to that competitive continental aspect. The uh the teams in Australia only have lifted one Asian Champions League title in their entire history as as a league in the Asian Confederation. Now, there was a bit of a history beforehand. They competed in the Oceania Champions League. That's a little bit of a different story, but <laughs> when when it goes to Asia though, being in the essentially in the bigger doghouse, they have not been up to par. And they are getting squashed by teams in the K League, in in the Korean League, mm-hmm. and in China. It not necessarily all the time, but <laughs> it's one of those things that they 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 have a very hard time of even getting out of their their region. So the the Asian Champions League is actually divided east and west, and so. Teams in the East play off against each other till there's one team left, and then the West plays again till one team is lifted, and then those two teams play against each other. And I believe outside of the one title that they have lifted in 2007, I think one or two teams from Australia have even made the final. And it's it goes to show that, I at least for me, there is a little bit of a stunting growth for Australia, and I feel like one of the contributing factors is the cap, specifically. And the United States is definitely growing, and we have invested a lot more into soccer. We're we're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars now, whereas 15, 20, 20 years ago, I don't think we could probably be having that discussion and saying that. So I don't want to come out here and say that we need to do all of this immediately. But what are your thoughts on going towards a soft salary cap, kind of like La Liga? So I would argue that we're kind of there with our designated player rule. It's a little bit more structured of a soft cap. Designated players are allowed to be bought for as much money as you'd like to pay them. However. You only count a little bit towards a cap. I don't have the exact number in front of me. Um, so you have the ability to go over your cap if you assign it to specific players. Now, there's also the League's U22 initiative, which is uh, a similar thing where you can buy them for a certain amount. They only count for a certain little bit. So you have that idea of a soft salary cap there. I would I would argue that. But I understand what you're saying is let it be for the entire roster and the way that I see it and the way that we've seen it for a couple of years now is 
we had to redo our CBA after COVID because of how much we lost, right? I believe that it was supposed to go up an extra mil or two mil uh, for the available roster spend by 2025. That's now been pushed back two whole years. And everybody's throwing their hands up and throwing a fit about it. And I get it. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to defend it. It's, it's tough, but that's what, that's where the world went, right? The idea for me, and I, I'm going to go back to your, uh, A League story, because it was a very, very similar story for us in, in CONCACAF as well. The difference between our spending and the world spending is not the amount. It's the location in terms of where our roster is. Okay. Uh, so for the listeners out there, it's, it's listed in terms of area of the roster. So you've got your base of your first team players, your reserve players, and then there are extra slots for like homegrown players and things like that that don't count against your cap at all. So our problem isn't our top tier. We are buying our top tier as good as anybody else. Our issue is what we're supplementing our middle ground with. When we go into the CONCACAF Champions League, and I assume this is what's happening in the A-League as well. I may be wrong. Again, my knowledge isn't super great, but I assume this is what's happening as well, is you're playing in your league. You're playing, you know, depending on when it is, you know, MLS is in its infancy in terms of its season when it goes into Champions League, right? But you're getting, you have to rotate something. So you're either giving up the season, the league, or you're giving up CCL because you just can't play everybody all the time. It happens. But when you rotate players or gosh forbid, there's an injury, somebody gets sick, whatever that next guy up is miles below what Liga MX is. Even, even Costa Rica, Costa Rica, uh, you mentioned, has, you know, the Deportivo Saprisa, I believe is the team that has the, the multitude of, uh, of championships there. They've got a very good, strong, not, not much anymore. They're, they're older now, but for a long time, they had a strong core of those players who were contributing from one to 27. I mean, you could, you could basically pick anybody out and throw them in. They could play. And that's our biggest issue is when we're taking players who aren't quite at that level and signing them on lower deals because that's all we can afford. That's where we're getting hurt. So I understand your, your idea of a soft cap. I would argue that we're there, but the, the change has to be in the way that we spend things. So um, my biggest gripe with our the way we do it is we've got an entire system now, an MLS Next Pro system for academy kids. Why do we still have two or maybe three now spots for specifically for homegrown players? Because what that used to be early 2012, 2013, it used to be, hey, let's get these kids who don't really have a place to play in the academy some first team exposure. We're going to put them on the bench. We're going to watch it. We're going to, they're going to train with us. They're going to watch the games. Never touch the field or very minimally touch the field just so that they can get that experience. There's a whole setup for that now. That's two more spots we can use to go and, and put towards better players, right? The GAM uh, and TAM initiatives to buy players down who are on, you know, lower DP contracts is great. It allows you to, to use league money to, you know, play with the roster a little bit. Awesome. U22 initiative. Awesome. Go get these young players that are going to be able to flip for a profit, even if they're bad, a la Atlanta United. Apologies, my puppy is still knocking my table over. She's mad at me. Um, even at Atlanta United, who has now sold two players who have been absolute flops for profit in the U22 initiative setup, which has been fantastic. 
The next step, you talk about always needing to change. The next step for me is to remove that homegrown designated area and turn it into just some roster spots. If you can allow them to use those however they want, then maybe you're looking at saying, okay, well, I've got another spot here. I can go and spend a little bit more money there. Balance it out a little bit, but you're looking at teams, and, and LAFC has done it very well, where they, they've moved players around, they've gotten players onto contracts to, to be successful, right? Gone are the days, for the most part, of big designated player contracts to players who are just coming to sell sell jerseys, right? You're using those to sell spots so that they can play. And that is turning out to be very, very good. The teams that are most successful, for the most part, have three good, in their prime, designated players. LAFC, Philly, I mean, the whole bunch of them. The U22 initiatives are also used up well. Again, LAFC has done very well with them. Atlanta has done well with those guys uh, outside of all of their injuries, which has been ridiculous. That's another conversation. The players who struggle or the teams who struggle are the ones who try and supplement the bottom half of their roster with mainly USL or MLS next guys, a la the New York Red Bulls, who have had two designated players. One of them hopefully never plays again, but most of our designated players have been flops because the style that we play isn't you know, helpful to them. And all we're doing is trying to get athletic young players in our door so that we can flip them later. And it doesn't, we make the playoffs every year. Sure. We, we are okay, but we never get to that top level to compete with other teams because it's just not there. The, the middle half of our roster is just not there. And that is what we need to continue to look for. So that's, that's where I would go with our, our rosters, not necessarily a soft cap or a softer cap, changing the way that we can spend it. I think by 2027, I've got the numbers here. Um, your salary budget, how much you can spend for players, is going to $7 million, which is a $3 million increase from 2020. I mean, that's that's massive, right? Your your available roster spend is going to go from 9 to 13, including your TAM and your GAM and things like that. So the money is going to be there. Again, it may be a little slower than most people think or want, and that's fair because we were going at a great rate until COVID hit and we had to dial it back just the way it had to work. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's come. The patience is there. And I think in 2027, when it hits, the next one is going to come in and be a, a bigger one because the, the what holds it back is, is the owners, right? The owners are out here saying, I don't want to take this big risk. I put so much money into this stuff already. I don't want to do it. We're starting to add more teams to kind of outweigh them in the majority. And I think a bunch of them might start to flip and say, okay, I'm either going to sell my team and get my money and let somebody else take that risk, or let's see what happens. You know, at the end of the day, money's money. Let's see what happens, right? So patience will pay dividends for our friends who are getting into the league. Um, but it's a league to wor- worth watching because it's going to get there. There's a lot of good play. There's a lot of good talent. And um, the money will come. Yeah, absolutely. I think that everything with what we are doing is in good time. With with everything going on, there is so much growth that can happen. There is so much growth that will happen. It's about knowing when that step is going to come. And it's kind of like how you had said. it's Some people want that step right now. <laughs> others we can wait a couple of years i did have one more question before we go into pk shootout sure our little game yeah 
how big of an impact do you think the, the 2026 World Cup is going to be going into the MLS? I don't know if I can quantify that. <laughs> that's okay. a, uh, that's a, I, I, I think it's going to be massive. I think it'll be very, very important because you're going to see those players. What I think really the next spot is going to be is the year after. Those players that you're seeing playing on national teams, this, there, and the other, a couple of them need to get here, whether it be on a, the American side or, or anywhere else. Because if you can go to a World Cup game, again, father who played football, son is now playing U13 you know, competitive and saying, I want to go to one of these games. Hey, look, I like that guy. And that guy now comes and plays for the team that's right next door. I'm going to every game. I can't wait to watch it. MLS is a league that people watch for the players, not for the team right now. We, we spoke about that earlier. <laughs> so if you can get those players in, that's the important part. And that's why I think you see almost a $2 million jump from 2026 to 2027 in available roster spend, likely for that reason. <laughs> so I think the World Cup will be great, whether the U.S. does well or not, which I'm hoping we do well, of course. Of course. The 2027 year is the big one if we can sign some of those players over here. That's the, I think that is going to be the kicker. I definitely agree. And I had had an interview with, um, Zeeland Shannon. I don't know if you know who that is. Uh, he no. is a, he is a streamer when it comes to, uh, a game called Football Manager. I don't know. Love if Footy Manager. Yes. Love it. Love it. Well, he had said that, and, and I agree with what he had, had said is, I don't think the world knows how ready the U.S. is for 2026. And that That is something that the world will see when it happens. And I'm very excited to see what happens. Oh, yeah. Couldn't agree more. I, football is not a my, – my coach, like I said, from Bolton. So football is the way that we speak. Football is not bottom tier anymore. It used to be like, oh, you know, you were, you were niche if you, if you liked watching the game, right? It's not. It's massive. The the disparity between those who support the local league and those who don't is the the main issue that we need to tackle. That being said, it's there, right? And that's why, as I mentioned, it's you need to bring the players in or you need to go to games, right? Every I mentioned our our history MLS history segment. Every time somebody commented a specific game that they remembered, it was always followed by that was the game that made me a fan, not because we won or lost but because the atmosphere, because the player, because of this, because of that. And that's why they're still there. You need mm-hmm. to be there in person watching things on TV, even with Apple TV, which has been great. If you're not there in person, you're not witnessing the environment, the acti- you know, the action that's going on, that's what gets you there. I was at Red Wedding, 7 nothing at Yankee Stadium, my first game ever. I mean, talk about being locked in forever. But I mean, I was still there before that, but that really solidified it. Mm-hmm. Likewise, my brother and I went to uh, three, you know, next next year or two years after it was 3-2, David Villa versus bad brother at Phillips. He was hooked after that, right? Being there for it, just saying, hey, let's go. These aren't $400 tickets, people. You're not going to sit, you know, you know, courtside at, an, at a Nick game. Go pay the 25 bucks, watch the game, sit in a supporter section for a day, really feel the environment because that's what's going to get you there. And go into it with an open mind. If you go into it thinking – if it's not prime 2010 Barcelona, I'm leaving. You're going to hate it. I'm yeah. sorry because nobody's hitting that level in this league or others, maybe ever again. Yeah. But at the yeah. end of the day, if you go into it with an open mind and look at it for the soccer sense of it, 
you will enjoy it. The level of play has increased. I'm tired of seeing people who are like, oh, the level of play is so bad here. No, it isn't. You're watching the wrong game. You're watching it with a clouded mind saying, why is Erling Holland not on the field? If Erling, Erling Holland would have scored that, or every time, if there's every time there's a, a miss hit, or every time there's a, a bad touch, you're like, oh, this league is garbage. And then you make an excuse for it in a Premier League game or a Bundesliga game. You're not watching it with an open mind. And those are the people I've stopped even trying to, to convince anyone. It's, it's not worth it. Every time you, you prove them wrong, there's another reason. Right. Oh, well, I'm not watching because of pro well. Well, pro well doesn't need to happen because we have this playoff. Oh, well, the level of play is bad. Well, here are four clips of the same thing you just told me from your favorite team. Oh, well, well, there's a salary cap. Salary caps are stupid. Your team is under financial investigation right now because you broke whatever salary cap you're supposed to have. Oh, well, well, MLS is stupid. I'm not watching it. Okay. Clearly, you are not open minded enough to watch it. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. We don't need you here. Yeah. We've got tons of other people we can get. So I, I encourage people to go and watch the games with an open mind because if you look at it and try and buy into a team, right, if you find a team that you're like this, I just want to be a part of something, supporter sections are fantastic. Being a part of those just to be there or being around them and seeing them sing and dance and cheer 90 minutes, if you leave there like, oh, this was stupid, this sport isn't for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way it is. It's a great atmosphere to be at. The league has grown to the point where, especially with the new teams as well. LAFC is 32-52. Seattle is still great. Atlanta's phenomenal. I mean, it's there. People are saying, oh, they're not real fans. My, my coach on the all the time. Oh, they're, they're there, but they're not really there. Yeah. You need to watch a game before you can say that because he doesn't watch the games. And it's and that's just the way it is. So. Uh, that's where I'll that's where I'll say that is is it's there. It's gonna continue to grow. Be a part of it. Be a part of watching it grow. You can say I was there when, right? I was there when I watched the 2010 Red Bulls blow every lead that they've ever had, and it stuck with me. I was there watching the 2012 DC United Eastern Conference Finals when Mark Geiger called back Kenny Cooper's penalty kick. I, I watched it. It broke my heart. First time I ever cursed in front of my dad, and I've never missed a game since because I loved it that. Much. You just got to go in and, and pick a team and say, this is it, and go with the highs and lows, right? If you if you picked FCC from 2017 to 2020, I'm sorry. But if you went with the lows, you're experiencing a heck of a high right now. Mm -hmm. And that's what the game is. If you're too quick to leave, you're going to miss the good stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a picture that you reminded me of. I can't remember it. I'll probably send it to you later on. Yeah. But it was a, uh, it was like this person from, it was a small group of people talking. And there was this outside person that was like, MLS sucks. And like one of them turns around and it's like, yeah. And then just goes right back to talking. Like I, I use that meme about once every three days in some sort of conversation. Cause it's so prevalent, right? Most of the time, nobody cares what they have to think, right? You can yeah. say whatever you want. Cause at the end of the day, we're done with you. We've tried. We welcome you in. If you don't want to be here, that's great. Three years from now, you want to come back and you say, hey, I think it might – come on. Nobody's going to gatekeep this league from you, buddy. But mm -hmm. we're not going to sit here and listen to you be be silly for the next two two days, right? Because that's what it is. And, and there are lots of meme accounts that people, you know, get in contact with, and it's fun. But then it's like, okay, I don't I don't care. At the end of the day, they'll, they'll think they won. They'll think they're all, all tough, and we're going to go and enjoy our league, and that's how it is. Exactly. Yep. Are you ready for the PK shootout? I – I will be 100% honest. 
with the stats and stuff that you were talking before, I might have gotten a little too easy on my questions. <laughs> See, now I'm worried because I, I hold myself as somebody – I'm a historian, like, with MLS when it comes to MLS stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm also an engineer. I, I do work in science and engineering. So I'm a history guy and I'm a numbers guy. So – Sometimes I let the the easy stuff go by. So we'll see how that goes. Wait, we'll see. We'll see. So for those that don't know, PK Shootout is each of us have five questions. The one that with the most questions at the end of it is the winner of the PK Shootout. Would you like to go first or second? I'll take the first question you can ask me. All righty. So it's going to be an absolute belter for the first one. Which club has the most MLS Cup titles? Columbus Crew, LA Galaxy, San Jose Earthquakes, or DC United? Oh, you threw that last one in. That was one I was hoping you didn't put in. I think it's LA Galaxy. Final answer? Final answer. And you slotted it right past the goalkeeper. That is the correct answer with five titles. They've got five under their belt. DC United, as you were uh, alluding to, was second with four. (laughs) Yeah, oh, I that was the one that caught me because we've been doing the early MLS stuff first. So Chicago and D.C. are on the brain, and L.A. has been so bad. Oh, yes. that they I had heard and, and seen in reports and stuff like that that there was, like, a – the fans, like, they're done. Like, oh, yeah. the, the – the, I forgot the, the ultras, essentially. Yep. Uh, they're, they're done. They're, yep. they're, it's over. Like, they're – Yeah. So – that came down to the, the 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 president was the head of like scouting or, or something like that before he became the president. He knew all the league's roster rules intentionally broke them. And they still missed the playoffs. Oh. So they were like, "You you you did all this work, <laughs> and we still suck. So it's time for you to go." <laughs> Absolutely, I would I would say otherwise too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, at least you're getting something out of it if you break the rules and you succeed. But yeah. still. Inter, Inter-Miami gets a pass because it was their first year. <laughs> yeah. All right. All righty. So my first one here, which of the following teams were not in the original 10? So the first expansion in 96, okay. who was not a part of it? New York Red Bull. And I'm going to use their current names, so any changes might not be there. Sure. Chicago sure. Fire, Sporting Kansas City, or D.C. United. So... I think based off of my knowledge there, and there may and or may not be a question similar coming up. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it is Sporting KC. Ooh. Unfortunately, it is not. Sporting KC joined as the Kansas City Wizards in 96, and Chicago Fire expanded in the 1998 season and won the double that Oh yeah, they they first season they did that. Yep. So, uh, unfortunately, I've made the save on that one, which is good because I was a goalkeeper. That was the only thing I was actually good at when I played. All right. Well, I'm gonna have to really step it up, and this is not good because I should have done my research a tiny, tiny, tiny bit harder. Because my second question, I am fairly confident you might get. We'll see. But. Which one of these teams has won three supporters league supporter shield titles, goodness, <laughs> but never won the MLS Cup? You don't even you don't even need to give it. Uh, these guys I, right here. 
I only get reminded about that about colleges. I only get reminded about that pretty much every time I record with my buddy. So. Oh no! Oh. That would be be my boys, the New York Red Bulls. And I feel like uh, that's Panenka worthy, probably. That's. (laughs) But yes, that is the correct answer for that question. Horrible start for me. Holy cow. 2-0. This is, this is not good. I really need this question. All right. I'm going to see if I can, I can bring you back here. Which of the following numbers corresponds to the golden boot record for like most goals in a season? Okay. 34, 31, 27, or 26? Ooh, I might need my choices again. Sure. And I, I got I got one hint that shouldn't give it away, but could help you think a little bit if okay. you want it. Yeah. So Golden Boot, most goals in a season, 34, 31, 27, or 26. The record was set by Carlos Vela. Was it really? Was, that, was it that recent? It was that recent, yep. Goodness. I'm kind of... Ironically, shifting towards the middle with 27 and 31, I think it is, is the two middle ones. Those were the two middle ones, yep. <sighs> Did Vela bang in 31, though? That's wild. He's attacking midfield, right? He's a right wing. He played on the right wing for L.A. in that in that season. Okay. That makes a little more sense then. <laughs> yeah. Um. Let's let's still do it. Thirty one. The answer was thirty four in twenty nineteen. Thirty four goals. Thirty four. This was uh, in LAFC's twenty nineteen season. Um, he and Zlatan were going back to back trying to win that Golden Boot race. So in twenty nineteen, he had thirty four goals. Zlatan had thirty. So it was a it was a race to the end. It was it was phenomenal to watch the two guys. I mean, as you couldn't write it any better. Holy um, cow. He broke the record that was set the year before by Joseph Martinez at 31. So that's where that Ah, okay. Yeah. Dang, that was a great question. As I am a little, as you could probably tell, I'm a little shaky on my golden boot stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. For potentially the final question I'm hoping Maybe this this wasn't hard enough, but we'll see. Let's <laughs> let's go into this. How many of the current MLS sides starting their inaugural season in '96 have not changed their name? Oh, that's a great question. Three, four, five, or six. Red Bull changed. Dallas changed. Miami changed. I guess technically you can call them changed. Tampa Bay doesn't exist. Kansas City changed. That's are we? Can I ask if teams that don't exist anymore count as changed? No, no. They, yeah, they do not count at all. Don't count at all. They don't. Okay. They do not count at all. So those two are out. That leaves me with three. DC United's the same. Columbus Crew are the same. LA Galaxy are the same. Missing two, I think. Red Bull, Dallas, and Sporting KC changed. Miami, 
Tampa Bay don't exist. That's five. L.A. is the same. D.C. is the same. Columbus is the same. Philly didn't come till 2011. Now I'm running down the list here. <laughs> um, am I mi- I'm missing. Chicago didn't join yet. Colorado was there, but they didn't change. Who else was in the Western Conference? Oh, goodness. I'm going to go with three. I don't think the other person in the Western Conference changed. Whoever it was, I don't think they changed. Okay, so we're going with three. Final answer? Final answer. And it's off the post and out. So you are very close, regardless. (laughs) Yes. The teams were Columbus, D.C., L.A., Colorado, and New England. Got the Revs. Oh, you asked not. Oh, I was going with who did. Oh! No. Oh, no. But I've slipped on the spot. I pulled it John Terry. John Terry, no! (laughs) Oh. Oh. I had it, too, because I was counting the right way. Yes, Yes, you were. Because it, it was ten teams anyway, so it would yeah, have been I knew, even split. I knew it was ten. Two didn't exist. I knew three changed. I had it right. I just picked the wrong one. Oh, heartbreak. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. It, uh, I, I need to get this one. I yeah. really, really need to get this one. I'm going to give you the – I might have made these too hard. <laughs> I'm going to give you, I think, the easiest of the one that I've got left. Oh, boy. <laughs> Chris Wondolowski leads the league in goals ever. How many does he have? 171, 150, 250, or 170. Oh, wait, I already gave 171. Sorry. Uh, or 124. Hmm. I remember just recently he was 33 with San Jose. And. I want to say, I don't remember what he was at. I'll be honest. I think, I want to say when I did look at it, it was at 98. But I don't think that's right. Based off these numbers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, might have been international. That's probably. Oh, that might have done it, yeah. So, I was looking at the wrong one. <laughs> um. That's a great, great question. What were my choices again? Sure. So you've got 124. You've got 171. You've got 200, or you've got 250. That is wild. Was it 175? 171 was the uh, the choice. Let's go with 171. And you have slotted it home. 171, and the most impressive number of that, 167 of them for one club, San Jose. San Jose, holy cow. So, Wando is eternal, and too many people (laughs) slander him, including myself, by the way, for that miss against Belgium. Yeah, He is one of the most prolific goal scorers in league history. He is the most prolific goal scorer, and he deserves some respect on his name. Absolutely, yes, yes. Uh, that's that's one of those that oh man these are fantastic questions I'm 
I'll be 100% honest, I kind of got lucky with that one, probably. (laughs) Penalties are luck sometimes, I'll tell you that. That's very true. That's very true. It's all mind games. That's right. So I'm hoping with these last two, I may have selected areas that are a little less kept up with. And so I'm hoping it gives me a little bit of a fighting chance here. So it's 2-1 going into our fourth question. Which country has the most deeply slots assigned in the MLS? So the most players uh, from this specific country that have gotten DP slots in the MLS. Is it history or is it current? Uh, History. Sorry, history. The United States, Brazil, Mexico, or Argentina? Between A and D, I know that. I don't think – so what's throwing – so the thing that throws me off is the early MLS days didn't award many to – did they, though? I think I'm leaning more towards Argentina because of the recent influx of young DPs and players that we'd like to flip for money. Um, so I'm going to, oh yeah, I'm going to lock in D. I'm going to go with Argentina. Argentina going with Argentina. And you slotted it away. It is Argentina. Do you know how many? This stunned me. 46, if I remember correctly. You are very extremely close. close. Yeah. You're way closer than I would have been. <laughs> 50. So. If I'm thinking correctly, you may have pulled that off of a certain Wikipedia article that I reference often when I'm on my podcast. Oh, oh. Which is why I have that number relatively close. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, hey, good minds think alike. That's, That's where right. it is. That's right. Okay, so I I need this one going yeah, into our final questions. All righty. So the I'm going to give you one for my team specifically, New York Red Bulls. Okay. It's another goal-related question. Um, okay. It revolves around one of my favorite players ever, uh, Bradley Wright Phillips. He was our top goal scorer for our club. He is clear and away from anybody else. How many goals has he scored? 95, 108, 125, or 136? Hmm. I'm trying to think the time frame he was there. We're talking six-ish years, I think, right? Yeah, that's that's just about, oh, it looks more, oh, that's a, yeah, six years at RBNY, yeah. Okay. That's a great, great question. Trying to think, because... Can I have them one more time? Absolutely, yeah. So it is 95, 108, 125, or 136. I'll be honest. I don't want to (laughs) dilly-dally and and pretend like I'm going to work this out because I really don't think I will. Um. I think it was the third one. It was like 120-something. 125? 
125. Final answer. Final answer. It is 108. He broke the 100 mark in his second to last season, and then he got hurt. So he only tallied a couple more in. Oh. And then, uh, and then he moved on to L.A., and he moved on to Columbus after that before retiring. So, um, unfortunately, not there. Yep, yep. That's, that is one of those things that I, I remember when Bradley Wright Phillips roughly went to the MLS. Mm-hmm. And, oh, man, he was just a monster. He just did everything in the box that yep, you could yep. imagine. He was he was the international Chris Wando. Their movement was exactly the same, and that's why he was so successful because MLS defenders couldn't keep up with him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. whenever the ball fell to him in key moments, like I don't know every playoff game ever, he could never put the ball away. So oh. that's why we have three MLS or three supporter shields and zero MLS cups. Yeah, I. What your your podcast host guys are going to get a kick out of that? I did. That was one hundred percent not meant to be a step. There, whether you brought that up or not, I was getting it next week anyway. So no stress. (laughs) I was hoping that you get a couple days break though. (laughs) That's all right. That's all right. So going into the final question, I am I'm in a really bad position. So I'm hoping with this next area. This is an area that is missed. Sure. And this area is the CONCACAF Champions League. Okay. After CF America, which team has the most Champions League titles? Pachuca, Cruz Azul, Monterrey, or Deportivo Saprissa? Saprissa winning there, you screw me up. I got Pachuca, I got Monterey, I got Saprissa, and I've got, what was the last one? Sorry, one more second. Cruz Azul, Pachuca, Monterey, and Deportivo Saprissa. I'm between Monterey and Saprissa. We talked about it a little bit at the beginning, and that's why it's fresh in my head, so I'm going to stick with it just for the vibes. We're going to go Deportivo Saprissa from our friends in Costa Rica. Roy Miller. Oh, Red Bull. Yes, yes, yes. So, Deportivo Saprissa, and the goalkeepers got a hand to it. It was so Deportivo Saprissa is currently sitting at three Champions League titles. Mm-hmm. Then it goes a two-way tie between Pachuca and Monterrey with five, and then Cruz Azul with six. Really? Okay, that's interesting. So that they are the the noisy neighbors in Mexico City. <laughs> that they are. That they are. So, oh man, we are going to have to go down to this final question. Alrighty. I'll be a hundred percent honest. I'm not confident. <laughs> but this, one, this one's tough. This one I actually didn't know. I, I planned the 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 one because I thought it was easier than it was. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't have time to make a, a backup. So the MLS Cup Supporter Shield double is not a common thing that's been done. Mm-hmm. How many times has that double been won by all teams in history? Mm-hmm. One, four, seven, or ten? Ooh. 
Well, we were talking about it earlier. Chicago was – they did it in their very first year, literally showing off everybody. <laughs> but I will give you a hint. Oh, okay. Chicago won the MLS Cup U.S. Open Cup double. So that double I'm not counting here. Only Supporter Shield and MLS Cup. So only supporter shield. Yeah. Okay. Because, okay. Because that's that's something that has always been the curse in MLS league has been you you win the supporter shield and then you get to the playoffs and you fall short and then you have, you know people maybe Red Bull fans I don't know who say things like oh the supporter shield is the only one that matters because it's just a playoff system. For that. Sure. Absolutely. So man, um. Toronto did it, if I'm not mistaken. They were they were short of the treble, but I don't know if that counted for the Canadian Championship or not. Oh, maybe it was one. Holy cow! I'm siding towards four because it's not many. I I am gonna ha- mentally in my head seven and ten are I don't think are there. I can't mentally. C7 winning it. It has not been that common. But to go off of that Toronto team, I think I'm fairly confident they did the Supporter Shield and the MLS Cup in one year. And they almost got the... No, they... Okay, well, wait. Hold on a second. They did win the the treble. It was the Canadian Championship, the MLS, and the Supporter Shield. So they have done it. So that's one team right there. Oh, is there another one? Is there another team? Surely LA's done it. in Back in their heyday. Oh, no. This is not good. I'm trying to decide which one I can live with, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with four. Final answer? Final answer. The answer is seven. What? Early days MLS was way more common. Uh, it had not been done since 2011 until last year. LAFC won Supporter Shield and MLS Cup. Oh my lord. So the Galaxy have two. DC United have two in 97 and 99. KC Wizards did it in 2000. The Galaxy did it in 2002 and 2011. And then the Columbus Crew did it in 2008 when they beat New York Red Bulls, of course, in the MLS Cup final. Yeah. So that was, it was way more common, but it hasn't been done. This was the first time in 11 in years it was done time. last year. Wow. Yeah. Holy cow. That's crazy. All right. Well, Mr. Andrew, you have won the PK shootout. Congratulations. That is, that's, I look forward to possibly doing that again as well because that was a good time. I know that, uh, I know that I've got to get my questions a little bit harder. It's just almost there. I would welcome those. Absolutely, absolutely. I wanted to take five five minutes or, or however long you want. Do you want to shout out anything at all or, or yeah. anything else you want to say? Sure. If anybody was interested in what we were talking about today, we uh, we are a podcast that is 
mainly MLS focused. We do U.S. men's national teams and CONCACAF Champions League stuff as well. But we are currently in the middle of kind of doing a mix between season recaps and uh, MLS history. So if you want to learn about where the league came from, the big games, the big moments, the big goals, the big players, that's what we're doing right now. We're going back and we're retelling those stories. So if that's something you're interested in, learning about where we started and how we got to where we are, come check us out. We can You can look us up anywhere you get your podcast, really, and uh, as well as on social media. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or TikTok. Uh, go ahead and search the Designated Players Podcast. You'll find us. Uh, give us a follow. Give us a shout out. Let us know you came from here so we know uh, we know that you listen to both of us and you're a cool person. So uh, thanks so much for having me on, Justin. I had a great time. Uh, really, really enjoyed that conversation as well as the uh, the PK shootout. That was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time.